This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're incredibly fortunate. We have Lisa Niederman, and we're in her home, and she is the Managing Director of Speed to Results. Lisa, thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home. Bob, what a pleasure. I've been excited about doing this interview with you, and I've heard all about it, so I'm ready to get started. What you guys don't know is we've been sitting here for an hour talking about all the things we have in common and the interest in the business owner before we even started the podcast. So we're going to get right to it. So Lisa, tell me about your business and who you serve. Well, Speed Results is about focusing on closely held family-owned businesses and transition. And it's particularly working with the owners, the rising generation, the non-family executives, and the partners and helping them look at the emotional and behavioral challenges that they're experiencing with succession, because there's a lot of succession going on, continuity, how do you grow the business, how do you create that legacy, and getting it ready for sale. So we call this seller readiness. It's the people side of the transition journey that ensures improvement in value drivers and optimum valuation. For the folks who are listening and they're going, uh, what is all that, uh, that yeah, sounds yeah. like that touchy feely thing. And I don't think they're aware of the statistics for the quantity of businesses that come to market that don't sell. Can you share some of your experience and understanding of basically the state of owner readiness? Yeah. Let me talk to you about right now, there are about 75% of closely held family business owners in this country. Okay. 85% have not completed a transition plan, and that's succession we're talking about. 50% haven't even started. Now, out of that, 75%, when they do sell, regret it because they're not prepared, and they spend approximately the next 18 months, could be in depression, anxiety, trying to find themselves because they were tied, their identity was tied with their business. So these are important statistics, but think about this. 25% of the businesses only close. That's not very much. So when we talk about seller readiness or the emotional and behavioral side of getting the business owners ready, I know that sounds like a lot of gobbledygook. It's not. Because if you think about it, it's the glue that makes that transaction or succession work. And people aren't paying attention to it. They're paying attention to the advisors, the valuation, the attorneys, the CPA, the investment bankers, and business brokers. But what happens when the people side falls apart? What happens when the owner isn't psychologically ready? They're controlling. They're a know-it-all. They're not ready yet. And they think they can do it in another three to five years. And we're living in a very volatile market right now. We don't know what's going to happen. And right now, people think that they still can sell their business. They still have a right to sell their businesses. Nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know that. And then you don't know what's going to happen if it's a family business, what's going to happen with your siblings, your cousins, and when they want out. Okay? So those are some of the issues that we're talking about when we talk about emotional and behavioral challenges, because that is what you have to address in order to make the continuity succession or the sale work. You're really passionate about what you think about that. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about what led you down this path. Well, it actually, we were talking about this, but it actually goes back to my family. 
my grandfather, we were in a family in our business, and my grandfather started a furniture business. And he had two sons, my father and my uncle. And they ran the business. And it was on the south side of Chicago. It was a high-end living room furniture business, extremely successful. And it sold twice. But what I got to watch was my two older brothers got to go down and work at the factory. And this is literally a factory on the south side, manufacturing firm, hammering nails into the furniture. Big oak beams. And we would go down there as kids, myself and my younger brother, and play on the factory floor, get chased out of there. But I got to watch everything that was going on. And I tell this story because my father was a patriarch in our family. Everybody would go to him, wise counsel. If there was any problem, they would go to him. But when I went down to the factory and I saw how he managed people, that made such an impression on me. Because in those days, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was a very autocratic, militaristic, hierarchical model. You told people what to do. It wasn't collaborative. It wasn't team-focused. So here I am sitting, watching my father and my family, and then watching him as the boss CEO of his business. And there's a dissonance that's created. And I'm going, wow, there's got to be a better way to do this. And by the way, that's a phrase I've always said in my life. I've always come in and maximized, what can we do? How can we do this better? And that propelled me into a whole field in psychology. I had a whole practice in behavioral psychology before I came to business. And that's where I set the goal of combining psychology and business. And by the way, that business sold twice. And in each of those, I was privy to the discussion. I wish I was a little bit older with the knowledge I have now. But back then, I was so impressionable and I was just listening to all these conversations. My father was a visionary in those days, and I didn't even know it. They were talking about mergers and acquisitions in the 70s. We only started talking about that in the 80s and 90s. So I grew up in this family business that sold twice, and it propelled me into this whole field of psychology where I said, I'm going to go get great at people first, and then I'm going to come back to business, and I'm going to integrate the two. And that's really what I'm made of. That's what is in my DNA. It's interesting. I think about folks that listen and go, okay, so cool. You grew up in business. You sat at the knee of the patriarch and yeah. learned. <laughs> yeah, and did. learned. Or you got to see him sell it twice. And you kind of go, well, there must have been a reason it sold twice. Yes. You know, one probably didn't work so very well and got it back, sold it again, perhaps. And that would be the story that we've heard many times with business owners that do a failed sell, That's you know, right. particularly when they're carrying part of the note, that kind of thing. And so I think about... As you look at business owners today, what are the top one or two things that you think are the biggest holes in their bucket now? Business owners are moving so fast. I mean, everybody talks about the speed of business. The problem is they're not slowing down and working on their business. They're so busy growing it. And right now we're in boom times. Everybody's talking about it. So I'm working on my business. I don't need to worry about the valuation or what I'm going to get. The problem is they're not taking a couple hours a week and looking at where they're going. What is their destination? They're not working on their business. And I know your listeners have heard this before. The thing is, they've heard it before, but are they acting on it? And most people are not. Why do you think that is? I think it goes back to the speed of business. 
People are moving so fast. I don't have time to do that. I got to do my next acquisition or I've got to get this next client or I got to get this next proposal out. They don't have the time to sit down and really think about, okay, well, I'm doing the, I'm executing. Okay. I am executing. And there's a lot of discussion right now on what is execution, but what are you executing against? Do you know your destination? I ask people that and a lot of time they don't. Do you think that, you know, most of the folks think they're immortal? And I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's not going to happen to me. And that's, is never, that's a typical thing. It won't happen to me. Right. You know, death or disability changed the value of your business upon the event, right? That's if you're right. the business, and do you think that in, when you talk to your clients that they consider that risk level much? No, they don't because they think they're omnipotent, mm -hmm. just as you said. I've got another three to five years. I'll handle it in three to five years. Then I get to another five years. I'll handle it in another three to five years. I honestly, it goes back to our denial about our mortality, uh -huh. that our life is going to come to an end. Even with my own father, he was in the business till he was 79. Mm -hmm. And it took three people to replace him. I see that all the time. The owners go, the founders go, I'm not ready. I'm having too much fun. But what they're not counting on is what you just said, disability, illness. And then you've got the rising generation going, I'm ready, dad. I'm ready, mom. I want to do this. Let me do this. And the problem with that is if they don't pay attention to nurturing them at least five to 10 years out, and I know your listeners are going, oh, five to 10 years out, who has that kind of time? But ideally, that's what you want to take is five to 10 years out. But if you don't start nurturing them, educating them, even as little kids and money and finance and giving them exercises, if you don't do that, your talent is going to go somewhere else. Well, it's, it's the old apprentice notion. I mean, when I think about business that's and exactly cycles, right. like many things in an up market, anybody can do it in an up market. That's but what exactly. do you do in a down market condition in, in any of the number of businesses? Do you think when you talk to your clients, do you think there's a concern if they start doing this kind of planning that their employees might go, oh, they're going to sell their business? Do you think no, there's because a typically they don't know about that. Okay. Most owners, if they're talking about selling or transitioning, they don't want their employees to know. There's different perspectives on letting your key employees know, but mm -hmm. that depends. If it's an outside sale, an internal sale. But you know, if you're 70 or 75, the employees have got to know. They're sitting there going, I know there's going to be some kind of transition. And what are the employees worried about? Their jobs. Their jobs, their family, their mm -hmm. security. And even though it's been good for them, what are they going to do next? So it's not good for the current employees not to know that. In your experience, when you go through your process and the business owner basically says, yep, I'm going to drink the tea, I'm going to follow the process. What is the typical outcome that that business owner observes when they get to the end of the process? Basically, what they've done is they've identified their value drivers and they've improved them. And so much so that the valuation has gone up at least 50%. And that's what people want. Okay. It's not just another process to go through. It's not just another succession. It's not just another theory. Because what are business owners concerned about? Money at the end of the day. Money, security, legacy, and how I'm going to take care of my family. And what's my next gig? Okay. And that's really, I know that's hardcore, but that's what it comes down to is money and family and security. I think about what you just said. So for the business owner, 
I think some business owners might consider this type of process just a debt expense. I don't believe they see it as an investment. And yet when you take a look, maybe you can elaborate on what the potential buyer is considering when he looks at one business that has gone through the process versus the business that hasn't. What is that a potential acquirer thinking between the two? Great question. A lot of buyers right now are seeing a ton of businesses out there. And so that means there's a lot of sellers competing for buyer dollars. And we know there's a lot of dry powder out there. But at the same time, the buyers are looking for prepared businesses. And if your business isn't prepared, they're going to go next. So they're looking for simple things. Well, they're not simple, but is your IP protected? Okay. IP is? Intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Do you have a buy-sell agreement? Is it funded? Do you have life insurance for key people? Just those simple things. Do you have processes and systems? If you don't have some of those basics, they're going to go next and go on to the next one. Because right now, there are so many businesses available for sale, starting from 250000 all the way on up. Okay, Our business deals with $5 million on up. Why? Because they're in transition. They're growing. They're either going to invest more, they're going to make more acquisitions, or they're going to stabilize their business, take the money out, and invest it in um, retirement vehicles or legacy vehicles of some sort. But uh, right now, it's a buyer's game. They've got that opportunity to choose and select. I think the, the business owner, you know, from my perspective, they have a notion of what they think their business is worth. Where do you think the typical business owner is getting that type of information? No, they're looking at their neighbor down the street. My neighbor got that, so I should get that. They're comparing, and it's not based on anything. So they're not being realistic about practical information of what their business is really worth. Now, I'll bring up something that a lot of business owners don't trust valuations. They think it's an art more than science. And that comes up quite a bit. So in the beginning, when we do our seller readiness process, we integrate it with a benchmark valuation. And that benchmark valuation is about improving those value drivers. Why do you want to improve those value drivers? And that could be customer segments we're talking about. It could be your processes that are unique to your business. Your listeners are familiar with that, but why is it important? Because it's going to drive your valuation in the end. For the potential business owner slash client that's listening, they said, yep, we want you to come in. What should they expect day one from you? Day one is we put them through what we call seller readiness assessment. Okay. And that assessment, it's a checklist. Everybody has their own checklist. Our checklist has been researched over seven to eight years, and it goes from strategy to human resources, to talent, to accounting, to life insurance, to valuation, and so forth. The beauty of what we do is we're not just making a check, okay, you want to sell in three to five years. What we're doing is we're doing a deeper dive in the debrief meeting, and we're asking what's getting in the way of making a timely decision and in order to execute. And in that way, and that's where the emotional and behavioral challenges come in, because people can be uncertain, they're unknown, they don't know what they want to do. And if you can help them identify those things, 
you can begin to execute even faster. You make the decisions and then you execute and then you can hold them accountable. So they go through this whole seller readiness assessment integrated with benchmark valuation. So they do know what their businesses worth. They get a debrief meeting and then they get an executive report that basically says, here's your value drivers. And here's the priority based on our discussions of what we should go after in the next couple of quarters. And it's prioritized. Now, what I've noticed is with other advisors, what happens is, is, you know, the business owner comes out of these meetings and their eyes are aglaze because they're overwhelmed with all the information. And this is where my behavioral psychology background comes in, because I know you got to chunk it down to three things, you know, that you need to do right now. And you have to make them specific, measurable, so you can identify when you're successful. It's not unlike the SMART goals, mm-hmm. okay? So that's no different. But what we're bringing to the table is, is that deeper dive and understanding what's getting in the way of that execution. So they go through that. And then after that, I refer them out. I'm very generous in my referrals. I have a whole seller readiness advisory group that has attorneys, CPAs, valuation people, insurance people, business brokers, investment bankers. And I'll refer to them directly. Now, typically, business owners have their own advisors. That's okay. These are second consults. And all they're doing is providing education to them. Okay. And then if they want to continue with me in the second phase, what we're doing is growing the business on the people side. So we can provide that needed, it could be to the CEO or the president, you know, the executive coaching development, building that management team. Where do we need to drive that management team? Because 50% of the valuation is the management team. And I think about that. So I'm busy running my business and they go, I don't know why I need an executive management team. I've got it handled. I can do it. I've been doing it forever. So from the potential buyer's perspective, what does that do if I'm the guy? If you're the guy, well, actually I was smiling because I was going to go in a different direction with you because hold that question. Let me come back to it. They're taking an internal perspective and that's part of the problem of a small business owner too. Because when they have an internal perspective, they think they know it all. And they're not sure really what their business is worth or what they can do in the marketplace. They think they know it all. And that's also a concern with family businesses because it becomes so insulated with family business members, with their knowledge, their talent. They haven't brought anybody else in to kind of shake up the culture for innovation and problem solving. So they can, and they may need to change their product mix or their service mix. So that's why I was smiling on that. But the other side of that question, and you have to remind me, what was it? Because I stopped you on that. When you have a business owner and you're the guy, right? And I'm running the business and go, why do I need to build a management team when I've got this handled? I'm young enough. I plan on doing this for a long time. From a potential buyer's perspective, What's the concern from the buyer's perspective if that's the approach that the business owner takes? Buyer's perspective is if you leave the business and you take all the knowledge that's in your head, what am I left with? If you take all the customers with you because you have those relationships, what am I left with? If everything is dependent on you, where are the processes? Where are the systems? Where are the repeatable things that I can count on that I can run the business without you being present. And that's one of the criteria that buyers are looking for. I mean, if you left the business right now, could the business run without you? And if it can't, 
I'm going next. Because there's plenty of businesses out there that are seller ready. You know, you and I have talked at length about there's this big disconnect between the value that this type of planning brings to the overall sellability of a company right. versus the guy that gal that's running the business. Why is there such a spread between what we think is an appropriate approach to building the value of your business versus the business owner says, just leave me alone. I'm too busy making revenue. Because I'm going to tell you, it goes back to the CEO president. It's the owner's perspective. They know it all. They know how to do it. They've been there. They've done that. They founded this business 25, 30 years ago, and you're going to come in and tell them how to do it. That's part of the problem with the rising generation. Rising generation says, I've got a better way. I know how to do this. And I know how to do it better than you. And then the owner, the founder looks at, yeah, well, I started this 25, 30 years ago. You wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for my blood, sweat, and tears. Okay. So the owner holds on because number one, they have both the tacit and the intacit knowledge. Okay. And they're looking at the next generation, the rising generation or the cousins or the outsiders or whatever. And they go, you don't have that information. Yeah. It may be written down in my HR manual. It may be written down in my procedures and systems, but do you understand the grit that made this business successful? And that's, again, that's why we focus on the people side. That's the emotional, behavioral side. Because you're going to have conflict between the generations and people coming in saying, I can improve this. I know better. And then what does that say to the owner? Where's my value? What happens to me? If you're going to take it in a whole different direction, then will I have a place in the business anymore? What happens to my value? This business has been my identity. And that's part of one of the transitions we're talking about, continuity and legacy. How do you help the owner transition from having an identity with the business that's fused to having another gig, another career, or what are they going to do? The spouse doesn't want them at home. They've already figured out their career gig, right? You talked about that earlier on the, the quantity of business owners that were unhappy after having sold their business. About 75%. And I think that's such an under-recognized challenge with something that's sold a business. You know, it's the old thing for better or worse, but not for lunch. Let's say that you're working with a client. They go, yep, I want to take this process. They go, you know, I can see where it takes us to the exit point. I can see where the sales numbers are and so on. And what process do you use to introduce the next phase of life post-business sale? What do you do? When we talk about it is you close on Friday, and what do you do on Monday? Mm -hmm. Now, it depends on what the owner does. The owner may have an earnout. So if they have an earnout, now they're not the leader. What's an earnout? An earnout is when the business owner has made a deal or negotiated for a certain amount of money to continue to work in the business, usually for another two to three years, in exchange for helping the new business owner transition into the business and help them be successful. Okay. And there's all kinds of different ideas about, is that a good idea? Is it not a good idea? It depends on where you are in your life development, what monies you have already and so forth. That's a whole nother discussion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with an earnout, the owner is no longer the owner. They're no longer the leader. And what happens if the new leader, new owner messes it up? 
They may not get what they were promised. And you have to deal with the owner's ego. I'm no longer in control. I can't tell people what to do. And then what about the relationships with your existing employees and their employees' relationships with you? Those are all kinds of issues with that kind of thing. But at the same time, if the owner doesn't do an earnout and they want to go do something else, they want to go another gig, we've prepared them well in what we call phase two, where you're growing the business, improving the value drivers. We're building a transition plan right then and there. So we're dealing with all the family relationships, how they impact business, how business impacts the family. We're dealing with the partner, non-family executive, maybe partner role. How is that going to work? Okay. And most people wait till the end to deal with that. So if you can deal with that in what we call phase two, then by the time you get to, you close on Friday, what do you do on Monday? Then they have an I plan. They have an idea of what they're going to do next and they can jump into the next gig. Your smart owners are working on that now. Now that's that legacy and significance part post-business sale. That's What's exactly my legacy? Right. I want to live a life of significance, and I want to impact my community, typically. That's exactly right. Before I forget, so there's the business owners that are listening, and you go, I need to have a conversation. How do they find you? They can go to our website, speedresults.com. They can take a complimentary seller readiness. And that's speed spelled out the number two. number two results.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And right on the up front page is a little, it's a white label that says, are you ready to transition your business? Click on that and you can take a complimentary seller readiness checkup. And then you can get a 30 minute debrief, all complimentary. And our advisors are available for a debrief, only education. Okay. So that's one way to find us. You also can find us on LinkedIn. There's a seller readiness LinkedIn group that I've formed. And I'm very careful with who goes in there. I've got business owners in there. I've got advisors in there. And everybody has the understanding that you don't sell to people. Okay. And then we're also on Facebook on speedresults.com. Well, this is the transition part of the episode. We could probably, we already had an hour before we started the episode. So we could <laughs> probably be here till tomorrow. Yeah. But I thought we would take and go through some of the questions I typically harass other guests with. And so with that being said, we talked about the importance of reading. What's an influential book that you read recently that's impacted how you run your business? I've been sharing this with a lot of people lately and they go, really? And I said, yeah, I was recommended to read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I read that back in college, but I sped read it. So I went back and I read it. I really read it, highlighted it, and then read it again. And now I've made a commitment to studying it. And the thing that is, has just been made an impression on me, you know, all these programs, they talk about emotional intelligence and behavioral intelligence. We need to increase our awareness of how we manage our emotions and our feelings and how we manage others. Dale Carnegie started that way back then. And it was very simple. He's made it so simplistic. And so I'm taking one behavior and I'm working on it at a time until I get it under my belt. And I urge people, go back and study that. Your great CEOs and leaders have. 
you know, I think about just simple things. So simple is not necessarily easy, but simple. In looking back over your career, we all run into challenges or the F word failure. And we look back at that particular moment and it's created the fabric for future success. Is there one of those instances that you would care to share? Yes. Actually, I'm going to preface this. It goes back to a book I read many, many, many years ago called Good to Great by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras. That book was so impressionable on me. And apparently I forgot it (laughs) at this time. But it was at that time, their businesses were just spreading out. They weren't paying attention to their vision, values, and goals. And they were acquiring different businesses that were not aligned with their vision and values. And they were going outside their expertise. And that book has always been impressionable on me. Well, back in, let me see, it was 2008, 2009, 10, I had some strategic alliances. And we were focused on team performance and leaders and coaching. Hadn't built out the seller readiness business yet and working with owners in the way that we do. So I was working with more corporations and leaders. And I had somebody come up to me and go, well, let's focus on processes and systems, which is very important. And I'm smart enough to figure it out, but it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my DNA. So I got enraptured with that. And we got clients that were focused on that. And I saw that I was starting to move away from my sweet spot. And it was causing frustration and actually disgruntled uncalmness in me. And the person I was working with, I said, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable, if I have the expertise to be in these meetings. If I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't do it. But here's the benefit of what that did. Because it wasn't in my wheelhouse and I was watching the rise of money's transitioning, like they're transitioning now through the generations, I started watching. This was about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. There's going to be an opportunity to start helping take an owner's perspective on getting their businesses ready for sale. So I started talking to my alliance partner about this, and he goes, nah, I don't think that's going to work. And he's focused on processes and procedures, which is extremely important. I wasn't feeling comfortable. So I started building out this model, this strategy, which today is called seller readiness. And that gave me the opportunity to uncover it. And so was it a mistake? Was it a failure? Call it a failure. It was a learning in my book. And that's why I said we were growing. I was looking at what we were doing. Okay, yeah, we can do that. Like other business owners do. They go, well, we could take that on. We could take that client on. And the biggest thing today is, is is that people have to know what you're selling, what your unique value proposition is, because otherwise you get in that noise and the noise right now, if I put myself out as leadership or as a coach or whatever, you know what people do right now? They roll their eyes. Mm -hmm. Another one. Yeah. That's not what we do. We literally, and this is my passion, it comes straight out of my family, is we're making profound life differences during vulnerable transition moments for family and closely held businesses. And if I understand correctly, with actionable, achievable 
steps. Absolutely. In my career as a psychologist, I was always about measuring. What does success look like? How do we hold you accountable? Okay. And I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. So that gives me the credibility to go in and work with these closely held family businesses. We bring the same procedure, that same preciseness, accountability, measurability. What does success look like? And so was it a mistake? No. I learned and I took the opportunity to learn versus going, all right, not doing that again. Well, I may not do that again. I may do it again. I don't know. We often call it tuition. It's intuition, <laughs> but I'm an avid learner. Yeah. And that's why I keep innovating and growing. You know, for you, for speed to results, if you could put an ad on the front page of the Denver Business Journal, <laughs> sharing your message or advice, what would it say and why? You know what? It was just what I told you. It's making a profound life difference during vulnerable transition moments. And what are those vulnerable transition moments? Think about it. You got family members coming in. Should they be in the business? Who should lead the business? How are we going to divide up the monies? What's our strategy? The founder has always done it this way. The rising generation is going to go do it another way. I mean, that's in the family. Now think about in the business, the vulnerable transition moments. We already know that. That's strategy, product, service mix. It's changing, innovation, and all of that. Put those two together. It's a lot of cats to herd. It is. It is. For you, looking at your allocation of time or initiative, looking back recently, what's been the best allocation that's helped your company the most of either time or initiative? We spoke about it earlier. It's about taking time to work on the business. I know every CEO and leader is talking about that, but how many do it? And as I said, your great leaders do. Taking two hours a week, get away, get out of the office, go in nature if you can, go for a walk around the neighborhood, whatever it is, take two hours and look at where's my business. I like to do that two hours a week. And then at the end of the month, I like to actually go for a walk and think about where am I going? And then at the end of the year, of course. But I don't wait till the end of the year. I'm checking in constantly with what we're doing. Are we heading in the right direction? If I was to say, what's your most unusual habit or what <laughs> others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you and, and your company most and why? That was a tough one for me. I don't know if it's an unusual habit. But I will tell you, and you and I talked about this already, I read. I read constantly. You said you read two books a week. I'm reading two books a week. Again, your great CEOs do that. Warren Buffett talks about reading all the time. And I know it seems to be a little bit out of fashion, but your great wisdom, your great learnings are in books. And we talked about Audible. So Audible is another way to get it. As long as you're learning, you're reading, and you're setting aside that time. Well, an up-and-coming resources podcast, just yeah. like we're doing now. There you go. And I saw from uh, Nielsen this morning some of the increased audience, and it's growing leaps and bounds. So I think, you know, for that's a rather non-traditional avenue for learning, yeah. but it's in small bites, so which is kind of nice. And I want to add to that another old-fashioned behavior and I hear it repeated over and over again, is listening, deep listening. And that's what I got from Dale Carnegie. 
we're so busy selling our businesses and our wares and what we're doing, we don't stop and really hear what the other person is saying. And at Speed to Results, what we're doing is we're taking the owner's perspective and we do it with deep listening. And I think that's so important because we're moving so fast, we're not stopping and doing that. And when you do that, you hear in between the lines that nobody else hears. Well, that, that's you know, in the podcast. I do them face-to-face because a lot of times I'll see what I don't hear. That's exactly right. And when you do this work with the CEOs, of course, Zoom and some of the other things will allow you to do it. But my preference is face-to-face because I want to see if they're squirming. I want to see if their face is lighting up. I want to see if they're passionate about a topic. You know, and then you go, well, why is that? Exactly. Think in the business owner interview? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you see the verbals, you see the nonverbals. I mean, it, it is so important and we're missing it. Over the past few years, what belief or protocol have you established in speed to results that's most impacted the company? You know, it's pretty simple. Never give up. Never give up. I mean, it's like, you know, that example with Teddy Roosevelt in the arena. He's in the mud. He's sweating. He's got tears down his face or whatever. He still gets up and does it. There's a lot to be said for one foot in front of the other. It really does. And I know where that comes from in me because as a little kid, I was put on a horse once and it was a hot, humid day. And I was riding around the corral and it went way out, way far away from my mom. And the horse started picking up speed as it was going into the corner. And all of a sudden I couldn't control it. Well, what happened was the horse took a quick turn. I was slammed into the fence, flipped over. I think it was unconscious for about three seconds. So I'm dirty, sweaty, and all that. And I'm looking at the trainer, and they pick me up. I'm looking at the trainer, looking at my mom. And they go, you have to get on that horse again. I go, I can't do that. And they go, you have to get on that horse again. I go, I can't do that. I got on the horse, and I rode it all the way around the arena. And that's way away from the trainer and my mom. I rode it all the way around and came back and I got off. If I hadn't done that, I don't know where I'd be today. It's funny, the defining moments. My son, I was talking to him the other day and we spent a lot of time on the lakes and he was reluctant to swim. So I put a life jacket on him, picked him up and threw him overboard. And I said, now swim. Yeah. And you know, and, and it sounds really cruel and heartless. I'd had him in lessons and everything else. And he had basically an irrational fear. And he was out there with a jacket, wasn't going to drown, but he learned to swim. And he brought that up the other day. Yeah, like when you threw me over the, the rail, I said, yeah, but you swim, don't you? And he goes, well, yeah. So That's exactly it. And that's what we talk about vulnerable transition moments. Those are opportunities for the company to grow. And if you miss those, if you miss those windows, you may not grow. Hard to recapture. That's hard to recapture. If you were sitting here... And you had a CEO that was going to be a CEO for the first time. What advice would you offer to that CEO taking that role for the first time? Listen, pause, go visit your teams. Get to know people before you start executing. I know you've got a mandate to execute, but there's nothing like going in and listening. You think you know the company, whether you're internal or you're external coming in, you don't know the company in that position. You don't realize how people are going to react to you and respond to you now that you're in the CEO president position. Listen, pause, 
go visit your team. You were talking about your dad, the patriarch. What part of that equation did you see with your dad? In the family, all the time. Hmm. I mean, that's why everybody came to him. He would listen. He would pause. And he loved that. He loved mentoring. At the business, and it's interesting because you talk about family versus business, business versus family, there's a structure that takes place. And think about it in those days. You're the boss. You're supposed to know it all, right? I'm supposed to have all the answers. Now, we don't think that way anymore. Well, some people still think that way, but we're more collaborative. Mm -hmm. Your enlightened CEOs now know that they don't know it all. And they're going to ask really good questions and shut up and listen. You know, for the folks, what do you think folks' biggest misconception about what it is that you do? In my business? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest conception is, is that it doesn't have any value. There's fluff to it. I can handle my own emotional and behavioral challenges. Really. Take a look at all the lawsuits going on in family businesses right now because they didn't take the time. Family businesses are closely held. They didn't take the time to sit down and agree on the vision and the direction of where they wanted to go. Now, of course, you're going to update it every so often, but there wasn't that collective coming together. And that's a huge problem. And, you know, if you say to yourself, oh, I can handle the emotions, I can handle the behavior, right. Think about when you were siblings. How did you resolve conflict? And are those conflicts resolved? And are those siblings in your business right now? And what happens if you earn more money or they earn more money? Or they have a great idea and your sibling rivalry comes up? Or how much should the family get? What if one family member wants to get out of the business and you're doing all the blood, sweat, equity? Those are all the issues that people aren't thinking, well, I can do this. Really? Not well. Not well. That's why you have a whole profession of psychology and coaches and whatnot. <laughs> coaches. You know, looking back over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why? It goes back to what I was saying to you earlier. I should not have gone out of my wheelhouse. I saw the money. I, I'm going to be human here. I saw the opportunity. I thought, wow, I'm an avid learner. I can grow in that. But the thing that you miss about that is, is, is that it doesn't have the passion or it's not in your DNA. It's just like the founder of a closely held family business, too. They have the passion. They were in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt talked about, getting dirt on their face. But when it gets handed to the second generation and even the third generation, do they have the passion? And are they going to drive the business into the ground? What's the statistic on passing a business to the third generation? It's like, what, 12%? 12, 13%. Oh, yeah. Now, in South America, it's only two generations. Yikes. Believe it or not. And part of the problem is, is entitlement, greed. They didn't earn it. And we've got a whole generation growing up right now that is born into wealth and has not earned it. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other issue of entitlement, greed, and so forth. And it's causing all kinds of mental disorders and substance abuse disorders, and that's a whole nother conversation. You know, for you, in your day-to-day -day operation of what you do, what's that personal self-talk or dialogue that goes on with you to take and keep you focused and keep putting that one foot in front of the other? Never give up. Same, same. Get on that horse. 
Yep. Never give up. All right. So winding this up. So within your group that you have, and if I was to ask your colleagues what you're best at, what are you best at? I had another answer for that, and a new one just came to me. What people say to me all the time is, Lisa, your energy is infectious. I mean, yeah, you're good at strategy. You're good at execution. You can do that. You serve with heart. You have humility and confidence, but your energy, you believe in what you're doing, and you do it, and you infect other people. And that's a totally different answer I was going to give you when, when I was going through some of the questions earlier. So I'm being totally spontaneous with you right now. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting is you and I met at an exit planning conference. Yeah. And that was last week, I think. That's right. And I said, we need to do this interview quickly. And the energy is absolutely apparent, you know, because I didn't need to wind you up. You were ready to go when I got here, which is awesome. You know, and I think it really portrays the passion that you have for the effort that you're trying to bring to help the business owner. And so with that being said, we're coming to the close here. And so my sense of this is the only mistake a business owner could make is by not reaching out. I mean, there's so many resources that you've offered, the free consults, the multiple group of disciplines, whether it's attorneys or intellectual property or estate planners, there's that resource available through you in your group. And as I understand it, there's no cost for that for like the first 30 minutes or so. Right. That's exactly right. My idea is it's day one. You're building a business. Take a look and get the right disciplines in place. So you don't have to do it when you're six months out or a year out. And it's going to cost you with your trusted advisors, your accountants, your valuation people, your attorneys, and some of the tax strategies you're not going to be able to use when you're six months to a year out, two years out. So day one, it doesn't hurt to get these disciplines in place, get people in a collaborative mode, get everybody going in the same direction. As you said, it's like herding cats. Mm -hmm. Did you say that? Herding cats. <laughs> so, and that's why it's imperative. People look at it as it's soft skills, it's fluff. It really isn't because I've had attorneys and valuation people say, you know what, this is the glue that makes the transaction or the succession work. Well, it's the attractiveness of the company. As a buyer looks at that and go, look at the culture, look at the people skills, look, there's so much of the intangible that comes across on the valuation. And I think the business owner is not necessarily aware of the add to their business. Well, Lisa, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed chatting with you and having you as a guest on the podcast. And I am sure that we are going to do some more deep dives with some of your group yes. on additional topics. So again, thank you so much for your time. Bob, thank you. This was an absolute pleasure to talk to you an hour before and to talk to you in this interview. I mean, I know the best interviews are so engaging when you just get into conversation. And uh, this has just been a lot of fun for me. And thank you for the opportunity to share what Speed Results is doing around transitioning closely held in family businesses. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you.